Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, we are in China, in Beijing, with a longtime resident hasher of Beijing and a hasher who started in Europe and who founded a key kennel in South America. Welcome on the podcast, Dazed and Confused. Welcome. Hello, hello, hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, great to talk to you. When and where and how did you start hashing? I started hashing in Ankara, Turkey, spring of 2004. It was, as pretty much everybody else, very coincidental. Like somebody invited me there. There goes the story. <laughs> like pretty much very dazed and confused. Just out of, out of the blue that somebody just called me there, like come over to the hash. And I was like, I don't even know what is the hash. I don't even remember that they told me that it was. The hash. It was in Ankara, in Turkey. In 2004, what was hashing like in Ankara? How many people were there? What was the or the trails like? It was a very cool pack back in the day. I, I, I reckon that it was perhaps, I don't know, 30 to 40 people, half and half, like half were foreigners, half were uh, Turkish people. The runs were usually outside of Ankara. There is plenty of places to run around there. And then you would go through villages, through the mountains and lakes and stuff like that. Very rarely was inside the city or nearby the city. There was like this place that we always meet up. That I, if I'm not wrong, it was the Seg- Segleman Park. Then from there, there will be the bus that will take us somewhere outside. Turkey is a very large country. Did you get the hash in uh, with other clubs in Turkey? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I hash with the with Istanbul hash. They also like a little kennels, small kennels like in Izmir or in Adana or people that they were basically that before they live in Ankara or in, in Istanbul and then they will go to these places and try to make a, like a little hash thing. Or what something that happens quite often was that all the kennels or at least the Ankara kennel will go to an outside hash. So then of course you get to hash with all these guys. Like people from everywhere in Turkey or even Europe, they will come to these kind of events. So you would see other turkey hashers at hashes outside turkey there's a lot of Absolutely, travelers yeah. a lot of a lot of hash travelers there yeah and that's one of the things when i came into the hash the first time i, I didn't know anything about it like the person who invited me had been hashing only like like two times and he was i'll come to this this wonderful thing and but it was kind of a tour that's what he said and then i went there and i hate like, you know, guide tours and stuff like that. But everything looks exactly like that. Like, there is a bus picking up people in certain place, and then we will go to a random village. Then when we got into the village, naturally, I just I went by my own. Like, I, I want to stay with these guys. Like, I was the youngest hatch back in the day, and I was like, I don't want to be with all these people. Then I just went to take some pictures around the small village that we were there, very cute, very beautiful. And suddenly, there was this guy coming to me, like, screaming, where the hell are you? Where, where, what are you? Like, we have been looking for you everywhere. And I was so scared because it was like my second week in Turkey, first time, like in my, say, Middle East. I was truly very scared about why this guy come to me screaming and then telling me that I have to run up up the mountain. And like, you see the, those people there at the top of the mountain, just follow them, follow them, follow them. And then I was like so scared 
that I start running like a crazy person through the mountains, through the shiggy, everywhere. And then when I arrive to the top of the mountain, I see everybody in a circle singing Father Abraham. And I was crying. I was scared about all this situation because I thought that we were being attacked or something. That was, of course, a little bit after the, the 9-11. So for some reason, I was a little bit, uh, yeah, scared that something might happen because we were a little bit in the Middle East and so on. So they, of course, made a lot of fun out of me. I drunk beer, still with tears in my eyes, and I got named, actually, on my very first run. Who were some of the hashers that were back there in 2004? Do you remember any of the hash names of the early hashers you met? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Borger Boomhigel, that he was actually one of the guys that came up with, with my name. He's very big hashing in, in, in Spain and, uh, and in Germany as well. Uh, Fuck the Economist. He was also one of the guys that was behind my hash name. Hot Chocolate, Mr. Majestic, Sugar, a lot of good friends. That is still hashing. Some of them is still in, in, in Turkey, Smiley from uh, the Ankara has a team that she's the current GM at the moment. And uh, many, many others. Great majority I still in touch, of course. Uh, how long did you stay in Ankara, Hashim? I stayed there for nearly two years. And then I went to India. And then I started hashing. That was kind of my first international hashing because I went to this Indo or Pan, Pan Indo hash in Delhi. Then I stayed in India for about six months. And then I was hashing with the Delhi hash, with the Mumbai hash, with the Kerala hash. You were traveling around India that whole time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. I took like six, six months. Uh, most of the time I was kind of based in, in Delhi. But during this time, I was traveling all over India. It was crazy, but it was amazing as well. And where after India then? Then after India, I went back to Colombia. I am originally from Colombia. And then I founded the Medellin Hash House Harriers. There was no hash in Medellin. And that was the first iteration of the, of the Medellin Hash House Harriers. There were several friends that they were doing internships in, in different parts of the world. Some of them hear about the hash. Some of them actually ha- like hash in the, in the past. And then the, the Medellin Hash House Harriers happened back in the day. We, who yeah. were some of the people that kind of co-helped you get get it started? Everything started through the through my university. When I came back, I get in touch a lot with the university. A lot of people that they were doing exchange uh, with, with the Colombian universities. So and I just basically, they already knew about the hash because I was already posting about and making small articles about the hash. And everybody was, oh, you got to bring that to Colombia. This is so cool. I remember there was something almost well, the hash was actually happening in Bogota, but when I went there, it was pretty much there. It was not, nothing was really happening there. So I was like, well, let's make it happen. And then I start, started basically recruiting people. As I say, some of them already, already been hashes before, like Pikachu was one of those that was with me at the very beginning. And Doggy, Doggy Style was her name, and a few others. I mean, the kennel back in the day wasn't like super big. We are talking about like perhaps 10 to 12 people during the nine months that I stayed in Colombia. Um, we were running only like once a month because mm-hmm. it still is, wasn't like very big in the, in, in, during the time. Well, let's they, talk about Medellin. Let's talk about Medellin. So you got it started with a, a handful of people. What kind of traditions came? Were they ones that you took from India or Turkey or were they ones that uh, came? Mostly, mostly. No, it's not exactly like a, a copy of the Turkish hash because by the time that I went back to Colombia, I already hashed in several other kennels. So it was a little bit of a mixture. 
I mean, what was very common among them was like, of course, trails, having a hair, the marks were pretty much the, the marks that we were using in Turkey, like it was pretty much flowered all the time. Mm-hmm. And singing, having the, uh, the array, the M, a beer master as well. Sure. What role did you take in that? I was the GM, of course. I was and the it- GM and, and then doing the, the array role, whatever it was, because we were not that big. So so everybody would just do whatever they could do. It's not like a big hazard. Like, for example, here in China, like, like our families is rather big. We sometimes need to be 60, 70, 80 people, 100 people. And how long did you stay there after you started the hash? I stayed there almost a year. Uh-huh. And then I moved to China. And were you confident that the hash would survive when you left it behind? <laughs> to be honest, not, not really, not so much. Because I was kind of the most the most energetic, the, mo- the person that was much like most dedicated to it. And pretty much as soon as I, I left, well, they has to run a, a few more times. And every time that I go to Colombia, of course, I will run and try to, to gather people that they were still there. But many of them, they left to some other countries or to their own countries and they keep hashing there or, or so on. But I wasn't, to be honest, I wasn't like that confident because uh, for the start, we were not super strong back then. So like I left and then it became very sporadic. And then I, you weren't I, that confident that it would survive. So what happened to the hash after you left? It went dormant, basically. I mean, there was there was like a few more runs, and then eventually it it went dormant till for several years. Actually, it was it, we will have runs there only if I was back and mm. if there were people around to do it. Luckily, like many many years later, like like more than ten years later, there was a hasher that he has. I, I believe he started hashing in the U.S. and then later in Bogota. Then he moved to Medellin and then he founded again the Medellin Hash House Harris. He opened it again, and, and since he was living there, and that was Pablo Piscobar. Yeah, we'll okay. talk about Pablo. But so Pablo okay. came back and found that the hash was dormant, and he restarted. That's right. That's right. And through that, throughout this process, we were in touch. I passed, of course, like the files that I had, the, the logo, which is still the current logo that the Medellin Hatchers Harris still have. And, and yeah. So let's track where you went after you left Colombia again. Where did you go next? Then I came to China and we started like, I started hatching pretty much right away. So when did you arrive in Beijing? That was August 2006. And I have been here since. What's hashing like in with Beijing hash? There's more than one club that runs out of Beijing. That's mm-hmm. right. So then the Beijing hash house harrier as well. That is the main kennel, which is the oldest one in all China, born in 1979. And then besides this one, there is there is the Beijing boxer hash. So then the Beijing hash house harriers is mainly a city hash. So everything happens within the city. Everything. Right? Beijing is big enough to have hashes every time in a different place with no problem. Then once a month, we got the boxer hash that is always outside of the city. So then we go hashing in the Great Wall, we go hashing in the mountains, in the Dragon Hills, everywhere. Everywhere outside of, of Beijing is mostly very chiggy, very, little bit more hardcore. Actually, very hardcore. <laughs> Do you know the, the meaning of the name? Why is it called Boxer Hash? I believe that that has to do with the, with the Boxer Rebellion, like in the last century. It has to do with that. I don't know exactly the why. 
I guess perhaps that was maybe because there was a sort of a rebellion against the dating <laughs> hash that started back in the day. Yeah. I mean, the boxer hash is not that super old. It's, 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 if I'm not wrong, it started in 2004. Yeah. What about other clubs that you can hash then, with? There is, there is the Full Moon Hash of Harriers, which I also founded. I founded the Beijing Full Moon Hash. Before I came here, there was... Full Moon Runs by the Beijing Hashers Harriers. It was me and another Hasher named Trixie Chuba, who we decided that, that we deserve like a natural canon for like, a, like we start counting and doing our own write-ups and having our own social media and, and, and our website and so on. Because before it was not every Full Moon, there was a hat, right? So then what we did was to consolidate it completely as a official Beijing Full Moon Hats. And then it has been, that was, I believe, 2008. Oh, yeah, of course it was 2008 because, or, no, actually it was 2007. Because in 2008, we have a funny incident with the local police because of the flower right before the Olympics. Pretty much the whole kennel got arrested. Whoa, uh, that's the why. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> hold on. Let's hear that story. How? Who was the hair? How did that start? What happened? I was the hair. I was both the GM and the hair, and the other, the other hair. I think it was actually was still pretty Chuba. And then we did the run nearby the Walker Stadium. Like in the central part of the Beijing, so we 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 start running uh, the full moon hash. We actually do it. We, we use flour uh-huh. for the full moon hash. So we were running. It's a light trail. So we basically leave the hairs to go like three minutes in advance, and then everybody else needs to catch. About how many people were on the trail that day? That day we were nearly twenty. Just like three months before the Olympics started. So that was the spring, spring of in Beijing. Then we were running around, and then we caught, we we found the trail, and we were in the middle in the circle, in the middle of the circle. When suddenly we were literally surrounded by the police. There were police cars everywhere, and then they were asking, "Okay, who's the leader?" And I was in that moment, I was right like in the center, doing well what we do in the circles. And then they start asking questions and then nothing actually like asking what was the, this flower? What is this, this strange substance that you have been spreading around? And then at the end, they decided to, to put as many of us they could inside the police car because there was many police cars. So then we were in total like 13 or 14 people in the police station, like the whole, the whole night we were there. And then each one of us was assigned, got assigned a translator. And they were asking us the same question. Who are you? What are you doing? What is the hash? What is all this about? Why you were running? Running is not for fun. You only do running because you have to. Why you are spreading? What is this flower or this this substance? At some point around two in the morning or, or so, they literally brought a guy, like imagine a CSI, CSI China, he was brought to actually collect samples of every single mark we put throughout the trail. It took them like like three hours. Oh my God. <laughs> like sweeping. There was a guy that he was working in the American embassy and he was the one who speak the best Chinese of all of us. So he was the one chosen for going with the CSI guy collecting the samples. And he was sending us text messages about how the situation was going. And then... He just told us like the guy, the CSI guy was completely furious because he was telling to the, 
to the commander of the of the of the San Luis police station, this is flower, and he was, I don't care. You need to collect samples of everything. The Olympics are coming. Maybe there is something strange there. At the end of the day, of course, there was not, nothing strange. They released us like at five in the morning with no charge, but they, of course, they warned us very, like, like very hard. First, you cannot waste food. You are wasting food. Flour is not for throwing. <laughs> you are contaminating the city. That, of course, it doesn't matter. It was contaminated enough. The charges were literally bad. Like, we were throwing. Food, uh, we, yeah, we were wasting food and uh, we were contaminating the food. So, so was it scary? Was it? Were you worried while you oh, were? Oh no, no, I think I think we were a little bit. Uh, well, believe it or not, we managed to get beers inside the police station, and we were pretty much thrown the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hashed there in 2008 February. I was there for Chinese New Year. Right before the Olympics, and I asked. Right, right before the Olympics, and they said big chance that we actually. Back then, I don't know when it changed. Beijing hash used to always meet at the same bar. Oh yeah, back in that time, there was a bar called the Five Nineteen, but we don't meet always. Well, the Five Nineteen is gone; it doesn't exist. Yeah, the whole road's gone, right? Yeah, the whole thing is gone now. Our our hash bar is called Pario Chase. It has been our hash bar for the last. 11 years, if I'm not wrong, or 12 years. And yeah, but we don't always meet there, but we mostly finish every, you know, after the round, you go to a restaurant, and after the restaurant, there is the on after, and the on after is in the, the hash bar. So you talked about hashing around Turkey and hashing with other people from Turkey hashes traveling. How have you been able to travel over these past years? From Beijing, what other regional hashes are good to go to? No, I, I've been hashing pretty much nonstop everywhere, in almost every single continent. Like all Asia Pacific, I have hash in Thailand, in Philippines, in Singapore, in, in Malaysia, of course, uh, in Europe as well, of course, in the US, many, many Canada's, in, in Florida. California, even in Montana. There was a time that I was living in Montana for, for, a, for a short period of time. And I was even hashing in Missoula, Montana, in Chicago, New York. It's been quite a ride with the hash, of course, assisting to, to the big events, to the interhash, mostly the interhashes that they happen around this area, mm -hmm. in Bali or in, in Indonesia. Did you get to the... One interhash that was hosted in China in Hainan, 2014. It was in Hainan. Oh, that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. The one in Hainan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I didn't. I wasn't even here. I was actually. I was traveling. Hashing in Beijing. You've been there now. It's 15 years. Has the Beijing hash grown and shrunk or changed over these years? Well, Beijing has a, a large rotation of people. I mean, it's not like somewhere cities like for example in Hong Kong that, that the expat community or the expat that they live there, the hashes, they have been living living there for like forever, like 20, 30, 40 years. Here in Beijing, I have been living for 15 years. I'm pretty much the second oldest hasher in terms of the of the time living in China. So what, what happens in Beijing is that the people rotates a lot. They usually go back to their countries or they go to live in different cities. Sometimes they continue hashing, sometimes they don't. It's a classic 
international capital with diplomats and expats. And That's right. And yes. That's right. So, but how, what has the size gone through? How small and how big has Beijing been over these years? Now it's much bigger than before because the came when I came at least, the pack was about 30, 35 people. During winter, we would be lucky if we have 10 people because it was so cold. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I guess the people are super eager. And then you go to, to a hatch lately and, and we can get 40, 40, 50 people easily. During mm-hmm. the summer, not so much because it, it can get very, very hot, but still you get 30 at least solid. But during the spring, during the autumn especially, you get a lot, a lot of people, which is a little bit sometimes problematic because the you know, the people start getting a little bit too suspicious when there is such a large amount of people. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, when we do any Nash hash here, uh, I'll put it in numbers. Like, you, you can do Nash hash in some other cities and, they, and normally it doesn't go beyond 200, 250. We always reach 400, sometimes 150 people for every Nash hash that we do here. I don't know why is that, but that's what it is. <laughs> we, we, we are big. And also, well, the fact that if they all this, the oldest kennel in China as well. So I guess in size-wise, it's, it has grown a lot. It has grown a lot with a lot, a lot of young people. If you if you come here to the to the Beijing house, you will be surprised about how many young people there are. Most of the people there are below their thirties or thirty-fives, and so not not that many under forties like myself. And then there is of course a few with a little bit more more, but not that many. Beijing, a young, active group. Are there walkers or is every, almost everybody run trail? No, there is both. There is both. They might be young, but they are lazy folks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go back to your first experience with hashing. What was it after you stopped being so shocked and afraid of what was going on? What was it about hashing that appealed to you and made it stick with you? First of all, I guess I guess the people went very. Well, they were very surprised that there was a Colombian, <laughs> like like there, because most of the people that they were going to the hash back in the day in Ankara, they were mostly diplomats from the American embassy or Germans and the Turkish, right? Mm-hmm. And certainly there is a Colombian that is like twice as young as, as everybody else. They were like very caring, very friendly. I got invited to every social. So I guess that, that really played a, a very important role. The fact that they, every time that there was a party in one of the old hashes house, I was always invited. Or if there was a, a, a party in any embassy, in the German embassy, American embassy, I was always invited. So all this sense of community really got me and still got me. Yeah, I'm yeah. still here. And as I said before, I'm still in touch with everybody, with all these guys back in the day. And it's fantastic. Even some of them, they have come and, and visited here. Mm-hmm. When you started the hashback, when you returned to Colombia, you had to do almost everything. What other roles, mismanagement, have you taken on in other clubs? I've been, for example, here in Beijing, I've been the GM for, well, now I'm not the GM anymore. I'm kind of retired of the role. I was the GM for at least four periods. Mm-hmm. Four periods. I was the array for nearly five years. I've been haberdashery forever. I is, I'm still haberdashery. I actually have my own haberdashery brand that I sell stuff all over the world as well. What's that called? Uh, designs by Days. Cool. And actually, the website is very simple designsbydays.com. Oh, cool. 
I sell things like pretty much everywhere. Like many of the houses that you actually that you have interviewed, they I have worked with them in the past as well. I have don't have advisory also. Well, for the for the pre-loop of the interhouse that was supposed to happen in, in or that is happening, but because of the COVID didn't happen just yet. Uh, I did they have advisory for the pre-loop. Were you talking about Inter-Americas? Uh, no, no, the Interhash. For to Trinidad Tobago? That's right. Oh, wait yeah, a minute. with China Let's, Brush. Did you provide the design or provide the materials? For the Prelude, I I actually, I, I of course, I also spoke to Noodles. The haberdashery was already kind of, it was another story. I mean, but I did it for the Prelude. So then it was with China Brush, of course. And then I provided the design and the, the actual haberdashery as well. Uh-huh. And you shipped it from China to Trinidad yeah, for Shine Brush? It's already there yeah, waiting yeah. for us all. Okay, cool. That's right. That's right. What events of these Nash hashes or other events have you been part of the organizing of? I have been part of pretty much like the organizing of every Nash hash that has been done here in Beijing, at least uh-huh. since I am part of. Also, I, I collaborate uh, with pretty much every Nash house in China because I am the one that takes care of all the old China Hashas Harriers, the portal. Mm-hmm. And then myself with, with Boomboy, another very, very famous hasher from, from, from China. Very lot of experience. We kind of run the show every time that there is, there is a Nash house. We are kind of the, the masters of ceremonies of every Nash house here in China. Mm-hmm. We are no matter what, we are always involved. Yeah. Is China going to be your home for a long time yet to come? Uh, it's been already 15 years. I'm married to, to a Chinese, which is also, she's also a hasher. Her name is Comshot. Yeah, of course, I, I, I believe that I'll be here for, for some time to come. I mean, it's, it's fun. It's fun to be here. I like it. You are part of a hashing marriage. Are there any all men or all women hashes that you know of in China? Or is all the clubs in China pretty much mixed? They're pretty much mixed, but there is, of course, a few that they are men only. So I'll tell you, for example, in Shanghai, we got the, the dogs, distinguished gentlemen of Shanghai. In the in Hong Kong, there is the, the Royal South South and Hash. There is also several in, in, in Shanghai, and sorry, in Hong Kong that they are men only. Sure. And in Beijing, there is there is now the uh, recently it was created like quite recently the SOB Sons of Beijing Hash, ah. which is pretty new, but it's, it's active every weekend, every Thursday. We are we are actually and then there is also like a new one, also very new. I guess was in response of the of the SOB that is called the Be- uh, the Beijing Foxes. It's quite new. They are running like at least once a month. Only girls. No men at all. Only oh, wow. And okay. then is, in Shanghai, there is another one that is called the Porsche. And it's only girls. Okay. So how did you meet your hashing wife? Uh, it was in our hash bar in St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I, I, naturally, I was a little bit drunk. <laughs> and then she was coming now with, with two beers in her hand. And then I literally stole a Guinness from her hand. And that's how I met her. It was the most expensive beer in my life. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so you are, as a haberdasher and a designer and all this, you collect 
hash clothes and patches from around the world, right? That's right. That's right. I got like a complete, well, I took closets, took closets full of Howard Dashery. Like I have been collecting through the years from all over the world. I got three happy coats. I'm not, I'm not like, like, like Walker that he got the Guinness record, but I feel tower, but I, I got three at least. I got three with patches from, from location, like from places that I have been catching. And do you make, do you get patches made there? Is that something you do? In China? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I like the things that I work mostly, they have to do with patches. I'm a purist in that, in that sense, because I only like the, the, or I prefer patches that they are fully embroidered more than the, the normal ones, mm-hmm. or the other ones. So, and I try to do my patches always fully embroidered. And then there is uh, the technology here in terms of, of embroidery is, is fantastic. Then in terms of, of Howard Dasher in general, I always use sublimated, like very like a sports ready type of clothes, polos, t-shirts, tank tops, uh-huh. uh, running shorts. Uh, and then there is, there is also some other good Howard Dasher, uh, here, but they do, for example, uh, caps or socks or uh-huh. happy coats. Uh-huh. So yeah, but my expertise is mainly on the running shirts of different types and techniques, polos and shorts, mm-hmm. sublimated. Cool. And it's designs by oh, yeah. days. Designs, designs by, by days. days.com. Okay. Well, we'll put that up there so people can find it. Can people order stuff from you from anywhere in the world? Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you go, if you go there, designsbydays.com, you can, you can order it right away and you can pay there. It's a complete, like a fully, I don't, I, I think I have at the moment only like, like, because it's very seasonal. So, and sometimes I put some type of haberdashery, sometimes I put some other. So, and very soon there will be new haberdashery coming that it will be, that it will be there on the, on the website. But yeah, anyone just can go there, put an order. You can personalize it with your hash name, do everything just directly there. I will get the order. And if there is anything I will just get back to you. Otherwise, you will just get your order. Unfortunately, in these days, it takes a little bit longer, but you always get it. Yeah. Sure. Well, let's talk about the change that we've all had to go through. The pandemic's affected all of us around the world in different ways. What was the impact of the pandemic on hashing in Beijing? Okay. So I think at the very beginning, unlike many other places in the world, China literally close to the world, right? In this moment, even right now, nobody can come into China. They have been very hermetic about keeping the situation under control. So then when the pandemic just started, uh, we got news from the, from, or actually not news, the order from the, from the local authorities that we cannot gather, we cannot run, we cannot do anything, we cannot go into the parks, etc. So then the hatch was kind of a stop for the first time ever, I guess since 1982, I believe, we have to stop the hatch for five weeks mm-hmm. and that's it we have been running that's it that, that was like hash wise that was the impact mm-hmm. that was the impact we only stopped running like for five weeks yeah the rest of the time we have been running normally well yeah new zealand has done pretty well although again you can't get in or out that's another place that has managed to do very well with being able to keep hashing that's good. I mean, at the moment, there is a few cases that they are popping up, but they managed to control it right away. So and as soon 
we, we get a little bit nervous because as soon as they start like like going up, the government immediately says, "Okay, no more gathering." But so far, it's good. So far, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, that's good. I, I, tell me how's, how how do I say this correctly? What's the name of Med? How do you say Medellin? Medellin. Medellin. Okay. Let's go. That's okay. Right. Dazed and confused. Let's go back to Medellin. You are the founder of there. You saw the hash go dormant and be revived by Pablo Piscobar, who had a tragic tragic death this year and was the planned GM for Inter-Americas. Tell us what you know about Pablo Piscobar and how you knew him. Well, I'll be honest with you. Like I didn't have the pleasure of ever hashing with him. When Pablo went back to Medellin, that was pretty much the, the last time that I could actually go to Medellin because of the pandemic. All right. Uh, he, he had it. He, we get in touch a lot. Yeah. Like, like on WhatsApp and uh, he's been in Colombia as well and so on. So we talk quite often. He was asking me a lot of stuff about how was the hash in the past. If we have done. Have a dash and stuff. I tell him, I already mentioned the, the logo that we had, patches and stuff. He later started push, pushing up the idea of the Inter-American hash. And I was like, wow. I mean, I was super, I was super proud of, of him because I am, I am part of course of the, of the, of the group. In fact, there is, there is a friend who used to live in, in the team, West Side Carter. And right now in, in Medellin, he's actively hashing. Well, whenever they are hashing at the moment which is also very, very cool. So then I always feel like so motivated and so happy and I couldn't wait to actually go and hash with, with, with the guys in Medellin to finally meet Pablo face to face and, you know, happy years and, and talk about so many things. And well, unfortunately this, this, this didn't happen. Some very cool ideas for, for the, for the Inter-America. I was part, or I am still part of the advisory council. For the Inter Americas with, with many of the other guys that, that they are, I mean, that they also made Pablo in the past. I mean, the plan was this year, tragically, well, that's not going to happen. However, I'm, I'm still in touch with uh, Chimba Wamba, who mm-hmm. is taking now, now the role into this. I, of course, I offer my, my absolute support in anything they might need. Of course, I am still part of the, of the council that you continue in, in the advisory. Um, let's see, let's see how, how, how that goes. Yeah, that's about a year away now. Here's my opinion in general. I, I think Colombia in general has got like a, like a big major change and shift on, on, on how, you know, in terms of violence and stuff like that. Yeah. Be- believe it or not, like Pablo and I, we had this connection of being the founders of the Medellin Hat. Yeah. You were both kind of founders of the hash because you founded it, yeah, and then he revived it, yeah. Exactly. No, in the in the annals of history, Pablo and I, we are the founders. I I founded first, and then he he founded later. Yeah, that's right. That. So then imagine all these and all the plans that I had. We were supposed to be having actually together. So many things to to run such an event. I mean, I've been in the in the financials and and the euro hash, and I know that this and of course all the interhashes. And I know that it takes them, like, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Oh, yeah. I know Colombians. I know I know the people. If they say, no, we, we, we can do it, we can do it, they will do it, and it will be amazing. Yeah. But, but, but I guess whoever is going to be there will need all the fucking support he can get. Of course. 
I was on the committee, you know, in which interhouse committee I was in the Borobudur one. Oh, were you? Yeah. Yes, I was with Miki Moleste. I worked oh. a lot with him. So, yeah, yeah, I was in the background for the Borobudur one. Uh, World Interhash 2012 was in Borobudur, Indonesia. What was your role? Okay, so I was supposed to be one of the trade masters, and at the same time, I was running one of the one of the big circles. Hold to your chairs because <laughs> something happened to me exactly like three days before traveling there. Wow. I went back from a business trip. Imagine this: everything ready. My name is on the, on the magazines and all that. Every day talking to meeting investors. And this is going to be great. This is going to be fantastic. And then I went to a business trip to Guangzhou. And then I came back. And then I had my, my passport on my pocket. My wife, as Billie that she is, she actually took my my trousers, put them in the washing machine, and my passport. <laughs> oh, no. And then I missed the interhash. Oh, my God. All the work and shit. Yeah. Oh my God. What did Midget say? Did you call Midget and say, oh, I can't? No, no, of course. I tried to tell him in a, in a very smooth way so I didn't have like a, like a attack or something. That was really a big problem. Like imagine we got absolutely everything. Oh, sorry you had to miss it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was a great event. Uh, and why, why? My wife was my friend. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> oh, you got That's one of those stories. <laughs> that's amazing. Wow. You got clean pants. That's all. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. And the password, nothing of the password. Okay, well, shit happens. Anyways, the good, the good outcome of all that was that, like one month later, I, I finally, well, because we got our hotels and everything. Like, okay, you can just come back later. But of course, there was no interhash. So then I took the opportunity, and then I started diving. And and I'm a diver. I'm a dive master actually at the moment. But that was the time that I say, okay, I don't have, I'm not hashing. I need to do something. I will go diving. I will learn how to dive, and then I start diving. And I've been diving since very often. It's like one of my passions. I'll need. So where did you take your dive training? Uh, that was in Bali, actually. We were in Indo traveling around Indonesia, and then we end up in Bali. That was the end of our trip. After oh, cool. we to go over there. I took a free diving course in Gili. Gili oh, Air. Gili yeah. Air, yeah. Oh, my God. And I ended up where you dive without air down to 15 oh, meters yeah, yeah, yeah. and I ended up getting a blocked vein in my eyeball needing to get shots in my eye I'm too old to do that shit but it was very fun yeah yeah very oh, it, cool. is, it is fun well after that I, I continue of course with a lot of major trainings I did my dive master in in Philippines in Puerto Galera and one of the reasons that I choose that place not only because it's a wonderful place to dive but it's also because they have a wonderful channel to hash. So, and I was living there for two, for maybe three months, mm -hmm. and hashing, hashing every, like every weekend, of course, and diving. It was literally hashing, diving. And what's the hashing like there in the Philippines? It's pretty cool. I mean, I, I really like it. At least the, the one in Puerto Galera, I really enjoy the people, the guys, they, they really guys in there, of course. Very friendly, all of them. Filipinos Filipino, in general, they are extremely friendly. And all the experts and so on, they're, most of them, they are retired or they are on dive centers and so on. They have like a very peaceful, enjoyable life there. The hatch itself is super beautiful. It's, of course, uh, running through, through all these 
large mountains and through the jungle forests yeah. and the sea and then end up in barbecues in front of the sea with a beautiful sunset. It's, it's tough. I, I'm looking forward to go back. <laughs> okay, so it's been 17 years now and you hash regularly, often more than once a week. What's your ballpark guess for how many hashes you've done? I know that for the Beijing hashes, I've done nearly 400. For the Ankara hash, I cannot recall how many I have, but over 100, I guess. Daily, I managed to get nearly 50. I mean, the other countries, honestly, I, I can I don't know. Yeah, it's, well, it's over, a th- it's over a thousand, I think. It's oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think it's over a thousand, for sure. Well, you had that great white powder story. You may have spent, <laughs> you, you guys may have spent more time in jail than any other hashers as a group on that. Cause that was a That's long, a group, that yeah. was a long overnight. I mean, a, a lot of hashers have been picked up and talked to by the police, but you guys spent. You know, one, one of the funny things is like after, after we left the, the police station, like a, yeah, like early, like at five in the morning, I was in a cab like going back to, to my home. And then I saw one of our very well-known hasher, Phantom from Australia. He was, at, of course, I was pissed drunk in that moment still. Uh, and <laughs> then I just saw him, like he was at five in the morning running, training for I don't know what. And I was uh, screaming from the taxi window, Phantom, Phantom. And he was like, what days did you say of hashing? And I was like, yeah, yeah, man, the largest hash ever, the longest. <laughs> yeah. He thought oh. that we were still hashing. When he, when he was just, just like training for whatever. And then yeah. later, of course, we hear the story. I, I RA'd the circle the one that, when I was there facing that time. I took over. They let me RA. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well deserved. So I'm hoping that the, everything resolves in a, in a good way for the, for the inter, inter-Americans. But I hope that we really get to know what is going to happen. And, and, but I hope, I really hope, that it happens in the in the in my city in Medellin with the with the tenant that I founded like so long time ago. I will do something unbelievable. I, I will try to help as much as I can, of course. I, I think about it a lot. A lot yeah. Lot. Yeah, I'm sure it means a lot to you that Medellin is going to be on the big world hashing map with this event. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's 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 the whole thing. Like because most of the time I've been in Ashes that they are like pretty, pretty big. Like they have ashes all over in China, all over in China and so on. And you always get like all the big kennels, uh, not so big kennels. And then you get kennels like Medellin that, that mm, they're not traditionally, well, actually Colombia traditionally is not a, it's not a hash country. We only got two kennels and they are like partially active. All these just, it's, it's showing like, like all the massive changes that, that the country itself is, is, is having. And how the people is, is showing interest again to, to see Medellin for what it really is. It's a beautiful city in a way. Mm-hmm. Colombia in general is a magical country. So I guess, well, we, we, we need to see all that, all that and then hope that we have like a, a very, very strong hash and then something like Interamericas, of course, can, can definitely, as you say, put, put the kennels and put Colombia in the hash map again or not again, like for real. Yeah. Now, in China, a lot of people visit China as tourists. Are some of the long, long time hashers passed through while you're there? One, one of the, and thank you for asking about this. This let it be like an opportunity to, to actually recognize him. 
during the time that I've been hashing in China, I, I never saw or, or, or knew of anyone of our hashes that passed away here in China, at least from the, from the dating, the dating hashes that we are aware of. A couple of years ago, a very good friend and hashes, his name is Bjorn. His name was Bjorn again. Mm-hmm. He, he passed away a, a little bit out of the blue. I mean, he was in his late 50s, I believe. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it was just like one of those signals that just take you and then drop your life right away. For me, like one, one of those stories that I have, especially with him, was that imagine we are hashing, say, around the end of May. We are hashing, actually, he and I, we were the hairs. And then we did this trail around the part that he used to lie uh, a lot around by his house. We mm-hmm. did a complete trail and he was absolutely fine. And then 20 days later, oh, he got sick. And then 30 days later, he was gone. Wow. His last time in the house was actually the time that, that, we, did, that we worked together. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry so for your loss. Yeah, sorry for your loss. It's nice to hear the story about him. He was a brilliant hasher and, and he has, he, he was, I think he was even in Goa as well. He has for many, many years and he attended every possible interhouse as well. He was from mm-hmm. Sweden, Leon again. Cool. I can say personally, I visited Beijing, although it was in 2008. It was a great experience and it was completely completely welcoming, fun, and a great experience to hash with Beijing hash. Yes. Hope you can come again. Yeah. To the hash. <laughs> is the ra always right 100 percent, yes <laughs> absolutely on on i want to thank dazed and confused for coming on the podcast today from beijing long time and now permanent beijing hasher dazed and confused this is the on on podcast hasher stories hasher voices hasher history new episodes every week until next time on on this is Ra. To close the circle, here's the hash anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me Oh. Uh...